0: Welcome to the first episode of Tow the Line, an NBA podcast that examines team predictions, individual player matchups, and betting angles through a mix of statistical and quantitative analysis. I'm your host, Mike Stearman. Today we're going to be examining tomorrow's slate of Christmas Day games, which feature a lot of great teams and a lot of even better players. Our first game was Philadelphia versus New York, followed by Cleveland versus Golden State, Washington versus Boston, Houston versus Oklahoma City, and then Minnesota versus Los Angeles Lakers. The first game we're going to be looking at are the Knicks versus the Sixers. The Knicks are 14-5 at home compared to the Sixers, who are 7-8 and in away, and also 1-9 in their past 10 games. The last game they played, on a 102-86 loss to the Raptors. They're not playing well, and their season is kind of falling apart after a really hot start to the season. So the matchup to look at is definitely Embiid vs. Porzingis. They've only played each other once in their entire career, early on last season, in a 97-98 win for the Sixers. Porzingis had 7 points and 2 rebounds and a minus-plus-4 Minus 4 plus minus rating, compared to Embiid, who had 21 and 14, and a plus 9 rating. This could turn out to be a very ugly game. Both teams are really high in turnovers, and they like to run their stuff through the paint a lot. The 76ers are first in the league in turnovers, at 18.4 per game, while the New York Knicks aren't far behind, just fifth in the league, at 15.9. If you look at the team's paint touches, the Philadelphia 76ers, they like to get about 28.8 touches per game, probably between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, who take a majority of their shots in the paint. The New York Knicks are 6th in the league at 25.4. They run most of their stuff through Chris Stapps Porzingis. Don't be surprised if you see the Knicks give a lot of elbow touches to Porzingis to spread out Joel Embiid. Porzingis is already 2nd in the NBA in that category, and if you have any hope of scoring against the massive human that is Joel Embiid, you've got to spread him around the floor. On the defensive side of the ball, the Knicks need to throw multiple bodies at Joel Embiid. If they can get him to pass the ball up to give to other players for and shoots, that works for the Knicks. The 76ers are first in field goal attempts for catch and shoots in the league, but they're 22nd in an effective field goal percentage at 51%. They're also going to want to slow the pace down. The 76ers are first in the league in pace, and when Ben Simmons gets going in transition and it gets other players involved, that's when they're at their best. For the 76ers, they just need to get the ball and run. They're first in the league in pace, but if you look at their effective field goal percentage in transition, it's 19th in the league. They've got to take good shots in transition. And also protect the ball. 30th in the league in turnovers per game, that's 19 points per game for the opponent. And finally, catch and shoots. Like I said, Joel Embiid is going to have bodies thrown at him. If he passes the ball out, players on the perimeter need to make the shots. Their first in field goals attempts, 22nd in effective field goal percentage. The winner of this game will be decided by who controls the pace and the post. If the Sixers play with speed and Ben Simmons has the driving lanes that he normally does, the Sixers should have a lot of open shots at the rim, especially for Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. When those open shots come, if Joel Embiid is covered, all he has to do is pass the ball out for open catch and shoots, and at that point, it's up for guys like TJ McConnell, Robert Covington, and J.J. Redick to hit open shots. The Knicks need to slow the pace of the game down and not let the Sixers form their identity. Get the ball to Kristaps Porzingis in and around the paint, and he'll get to the spots that he wants. Even Joel Embiid can't stop him when he's on. One last note on Ben Simmons, he leads the league in drives per game at 18.8. When he gets in the paint, he can score, but he's mainly looking to pass. This is where the complementary players determine the Philadelphia 76ers' success. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, they're going to go get theirs. It all comes down to the other three starters and bench players if they're going to hit the shots that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid delivered to them. Even though the Knicks are fairly young, I like Porzingis' maturity, and I think the Knicks are a better coached team. The Knicks are favored by one point this game, I think they're going to win by more. Knicks 110, Sixers 105. The next game I'm going to be looking at is the one everyone's paying attention to, the Warriors vs. Cavaliers. As any casual basketball fan knows, it's a rematch of the past three finals in last year's Christmas Day game in which Cavaliers won in dramatic fashion on Kyrie Irving's game-winning shot. Golden State is 4.5-point favorites playing in Oakland, where they're 12-4 and four this season. The Cavaliers are 3-10 at Golden State since 2014-2015 and are 10-5 this season in away games. Both teams have been playing well as of late. Cavaliers are 8-10 and in their past 10 games, the Golden State Warriors are 9-1. and The Golden State Warriors have also played their past 6 games without Steph Curry going 5-1 and in those contests, although they just took a tough loss to Denver last night where they only made 3-3 three pointers, their lowest in the Steve Curry era. Let's take a look at the Cavaliers first. The last game they played was on the 21st as compared to last night for the Warriors, so the Cavaliers are a lot more well-rested. Over the past 20 games, LeBron James has turned up his play to MVP level. And in that stretch, the Cavaliers have gone from 26th to 19 in the defensive rating and 23rd to 13th in opponent's points per game. If you have any hope against the Warriors, you need to come in with at least an average defense. If you come in with a bad defense, they will destroy you, even on their worst night. The biggest difference between LeBron's play of the past 20 games and that previous to it has been the consistency of the outside shot. The knock on LeBron has always been that he can't hit outside shots, and when he does, he's unguardable. But even more than that, it makes him an off-ball threat. When the ball's in the hands of a Dwayne Wade, Jose Calderon, even a Kevin Love, if LeBron's outside on the perimeter and he's hitting threes, he gives those players another option on what to do if a double-team comes. Tristan Thompson's calf injury doesn't make things any easier. He's been nursing it back to health, but over the past 10 games, he's only averaged 2.6 rebounds per game, and he's the Cavaliers' biggest asset when it comes to the rebounding front. What makes the Warriors difficult to game plan is that they rebound with energy, not necessarily their physicality. So it's going to come down to fundamentals like boxing out for the Cavaliers. What's different in the Cavs-Warriors matchup of this year versus Seasons past is the Cavaliers advantage on the bench. The Cavaliers bench is 6th in the NBA in scoring this year when compared to Golden State's, which is 18th. And that can be attributed to the improved play of Dwayne Wade and Jeff Green over the stretch of these past 20 games. Dwayne Wade has improved his shooting over the stretch of the past 20 games improving from 45% to 15%, and is scoring from 11.0 points per game to 13.5. The Cavaliers won't have to deal with the deadly combination of a Steph Curry, Draymond Green pick and roll, but they will have to throw bodies at Clay Thompson coming off screens, and they will have to double-team KD when he comes down to the post. For the Warriors, you might see the KD more reminiscent of what you saw in Oklahoma City, catching the ball down low, a lot of high post action, letting him just go one-on-one with his offensive tools. Look for the Warriors to set tons of off-ball screens to get Klay Thompson open. When he comes off those screens and turning on his inside foot, there's not a better shooter in the league. His efficiency is incredible, and he can shoot a team out of a game without even dribbling. While KD is sure to get lots of touches on the low and high post, don't be surprised if Seeker Kerr sets him as the role man to Draymond Green's point guard. Both teams can afford to play fast, but if it's in anyone's favor, it's in Golden State's. Guys like Draymond Green and Kevin Durant are good enough that they can play point guard and run the break, and guys like Klay Thompson and Omar Caspi should be able to run the floor for open shots. The Golden State Warriors have won five of the six games they've played without Steph Curry, and in each one of those games, they've held their opponent to below their season average on points. Don't be surprised if Kevin Love, J.R. Smith, or even Dwayne Wade have a big game. The Warriors are going to let anyone besides LeBron James beat them. Without Steph Curry, Cavaliers players have the luxury of staying more attached to their defenders. But the Warriors still have three All-Stars, and the offense is going to be run through Kevin Durant. Both teams are banged up, the Warriors more so. The Steph curry Draymond Green pick-and-roll has been bread and butter for the Golden State Warriors for the past three years. So without that, KD and Klay Thompson are going to need to turn it up. If the Cavaliers are going to win in Golden State, LeBron will have to put forth a superhuman effort, the Cavaliers will have to rebound the Warriors, and KD and Klay aren't going to be able to go off. The Warriors are favored by 4.5 points, and although I think they will win, the Cavaliers are going to make it a close game. Final score: 125 to 123. The next game is the Celtics versus Wizards, a rematch of the Eastern Conference Finals a year ago. The Celtics are favored by five at home, where they're 13 and four this season. The Wizards are eight and, away, eight and eight away on the season, and they won 130 to 103 against Orlando last night. so they might be a little tired. If the Celtics come out with energy early, they should be able to put the game away. The Wizards are coming off three games in four days and left dead legs, especially John Wall, who's nursing a knee injury. The key for the Celtics offensively is to attack the rim early and often. The Wizards are 8th worst in the league in opponents' field goal percentage in less than 5 feet at 62.9%. They need to slow down the pace and work for open seams for Kyrie, Jason Tatum, and Brown to attack the Wizards' starting offensive players. The knock on the Wizards has always been that they don't have a bench, and if the Celtics can compromise even one Wizards' starters' minutes, it could throw off their entire offense. This goes double for Kyrie. John Wall is the Wizards' motor, offensively and defensively. And if Irving attacks him, gets him out of sorts on the defensive end, maybe fatigues him a little bit, it should put the game away for the Celtics. Defensively, the Celtics need to do what they've done all season. The Celtics are 25th in the league in pace, and that's just how they like it. By keeping the game in the half court, they allow their athletes like Brown, Tatum, Rozier, and Smart to defend one-on-one, which is their strength. Fatigue will definitely come into play when it comes to the Wizards, but if they want to outplay the Celtics' stellar defense, they're going to have to outpace them. The Wizards are 13th in the NBA in pace, but they're going to have to increase that if they want any shot at beating the Celtics. If the Wizards come into TD Garden with no urgency and play the slow-down, half-court game that the Celtics want to play, the game will be over within the first quarter. John Wall is going to have to play out of his mind, creating open shots at the rim. The Celtics' rim defense has been stellar this year, 8th in the league at 59%. This is an even bigger reason why John Wall needs to get going in the transition, so not to allow the Celtics to set up their half-court defense. And with a rim defense that's so good, the Wizards are going to have to shoot more three-pointers. They average 26 per game. They're going to need to shoot about 32 to 33, and at a higher clip than 36% than they normally do. When Bradley Beal gets the ball in the wing, he's got to rip it and go. He's primarily going to be guarded by Brown, some Tatum, and those defenders are too good for him to just be able to do his over-dribbling. He's got to make one move, go to the basket, Maybe take a step back. If the Wizards are going to steal a win on the road, the starting five need to establish itself early with a fast pace and quick moves to the basket. For the Celtics, this should be an easy win. They just need to do what they've done all season defensively and attack the basket. The Wizards' weak rim protection will be exposed. The Celtics are favored by five points, but I like them by a lot more. 105-91 Celtics. The Wizards are going to have a tough one today. The fourth game on the Christmas Day schedule is the Houston Rockets at the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Thunder are 11-4 and 4 at home, and the Rockets are 12-1 and 1 away, and the Rockets are favored by four points. The Thunder are one of the few teams with the star power to compete with the Rockets and Warriors in the Western Conference, but the biggest key for them is to keep up the intensity for 42 minutes. In the first quarter, the Thunder score the 11th most points per game in the league. By the second quarter, that drops to the 20th, by the third, the 25th, and by the fourth, the 28th. This can be attributed to when the game gets close, the Thunder stars like to revert to iso ball. Carmelo Anthony is ninth in the league in isolation frequency, while Russell Westbrook is 12th. This is the Thunder's greatest weakness, but also their greatest strength. If they have matchup advantages, basically anyone on James Harden, they need to take advantage. If Chris Paul's in the game, Russell Westbrook needs to attack him. He's not what he used to be, and defensively he can't keep up with Russell Westbrook's speed. What no one expected out of the Thunder this year was how good they would be defensively. They've got the number one defensive rating in the league, and their opponents are only shooting 35% from three. They need to keep the pace slow. The Rockets love to play with pace, and they take the most threes in the league. If the Thunder's one-on-one players can take advantage of their matchups and slow the pace down, they'll be in a good position to win the game. Looking at the Rockets though, they've lost two games in a row, something they haven't done all season. It would be hard to imagine them losing three in a row, them playing as well as they have this year. Going back to pace, the Rockets are going to need to keep the Thunder off the glass. The Thunder are second in the league in offensive rebounds at 11.7 per game, and that'll only slow the game down in their favor. The Rockets are going to want to play with speed and take a lot of shots, especially threes in transition. Playing with an increased pace may allow for the Thunder to get off some crazy dunks in transition, but overall it'll only be a benefit to the Rockets. The Thunder are going to need a big game out of Paul George. He needs to make threes, which is something he hasn't really been doing all season, and when he gets switched on to slower players like Nene and Clint Capella, he's got to take advantage of the matchups. Him and Robertson will also be tasked with slowing down James Harden. It's something no one really has been able to seem to figure out how to do this season, but two lengthy defenders like Robertson and George should have a good shot at it. Chris Paul's availability would have a huge impact on Russell Westbrook this game. If Chris Paul's in the game, Russell Westbrook will have to be honest defensively. But if he's not in the game, Russell Westbrook will be able to jump passing lanes, resulting in some big steals. This game may turn out to be a matchup of two opposite forces. On the Thunder, you've got three All-Stars who are no stranger to primetime games like this. But on the Rockets, you've got an MVP candidate with a more complete team who have lost two in a row and are not accustomed to losing three. It seems unlikely that Houston's going to lose three straight, but I think this will end up being a game where the Thunder's talent works hard and they eke out a close one at home, 127-123. to 123. The last game on the slate of NBA Christmas Day games may be the least interesting. The Timberwolves at Lakers. Minnesota's favored by three points. The Lakers are 6-8 at home, while the Timberwolves are 8-7 away. This will be an easy win for the Timberwolves if they just do what they normally do. Defensively, they need to allow space. The Lakers are the worst three-point shooting team in the league. If the Lakers are looking to drive, pressure them. They average the second-most turnovers in the league, although a part of that is set up pace that they play at. The game plan is pretty simple for the Timberwolves. Feed Carl Anthony Towns, because no one's going to be able to guard him. He shoots an NBA-best 68.6% at the rim, and the Lakers give up the most points in the paint in the league. The only guy who might be able to give him any trouble is Andrew Bogut, but Carl anthony Towns is good enough that he can take him outside, spread him out, and to make a dribble move to the rim. All Timberwolves players should be attacking the offensive boards, too. The Lakers allow the third-most second-champ points in the league at 13.8 per game, while the Timberwolves average the ninth-most offensive rebounds in the game, 10.7. The Lakers' only real hope is to outpace the Timberwolves. They play with the number-one pace in the league, while the Timberwolves give up 13 fast break points per game, 26th in the league. The Lakers are also going to need to allow a lot of space to the Timberwolves. Only 26.7% of the Wolves' points come from three-pointers, and they shoot at a 35.6% clip, too. In addition to playing with pace, the Lakers also need to slash and attack the rim. Carl Anthony Towns may be a big dude, but he's not an elite rim protector yet, and the Timberwolves have a worse opponent field goal percentage at 65.7%. The Lakers also need to take advantage of the bench disparity. They've got the number one scoring bench in the league at 47.1 points per game, when the Wolves is actually pretty terrible at 22.8. Even though they want to play with pace, the Lakers need to take care of the ball. The Timberwolves force the third most turnovers in the league, and the Lakers average the most turnovers in the league. This is a recipe for disaster. Whoever Butler is guarding, move the ball away from him. He's their only elite wing defender. Attack Wiggins, Towns, and Teague. None of them are very good defensively. If the Timberwolves can score as effectively as they normally do and not let the Lakers do anything crazy in transition, they should have an easy win. The Lakers' only real hope is that their transition game does something special today and that Carl Anthony Towns misses shots that he normally makes. Playing a primetime game at home certainly is an advantage, but this is also their third game in four days. In a team based on transition, they might be a little tired. I'm predicting an easy win for the Wolves, 108-95. to